Hello and welcome back to another episode of Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor, and today we have with us a very special guest who is the Data Strategy Manager for Downtown Music Publishing and Song Trust, Ms. Brittany Foreman. Welcome, Brittany. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. We appreciate you for joining us on the show today. Of course. Uh, getting ready to drop this knowledge on us, so I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. I, I feel like I've been getting a lot of love from the downtown music publishing and song trust team. You guys have been very helpful and um, support me with this podcast, so I do appreciate you guys a lot. So um, before we actually get into the questions, would you like to give us a quick background about how you got into the music business and what you're actually doing to support artists and creators? Sure. Um, I actually got... It's kind of a long story, so I'll try to keep it very concise. Uh, I grew up as a trained dancer, and I was trained on different instruments, but I don't have kind of the natural gift that other people in my family do. So, like, my brother can play music by ear, so he'll hear it, and he'll play it, and that gets really frustrating. (laughs) Uh, So I was really good at, like, math and science, and so um, when I was in college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and an opportunity came to work to be like a sound engineer for a local venue, kind of like learn stuff. It was fairly technical. Um, and that's kind of where I fell in love with working with musicians. Um, and since there, I've like done, I've worked in various capacities, always far more on the technical side because um, I don't play instruments. So I've helped out with like artist management, uh, been a sound engineer, uh, worked at uh, record labels, uh, music magazines. Um, data, music data companies, and currently I work in data at a music publishing company, and it's kind of all in service to the mission of helping artists make a living doing what they love to do, and I get to be a little bit boss because I have numbers behind me, so I'm able to point to, like, this is why I'm right, um, so it's very fulfilling for me, for me. Um, and it also is able to help a lot more artists than if I were to say be an artist manager because I can work for a whole company who has a larger roster of artists than if I was just to take on like a full handful of people I could like talk to on the regular so um, this is probably the best fit for me got it so with your educational background what did you actually go to school for that allowed you to jump in this field um, I studied in undergrad marketing with focus in statistics and economics, okay. um, but I did go back to the continuing studies at like General Assembly so that I could learn data analytics and data science and be able to build uh, machine learning and algorithms and be able to like pull data from databases because um, so, you're always able to be able to pivot what you know and kind of like as long as you're willing to learn more. Uh, I believe that there's far more opportunities open to you. So anytime I'm just like, mm, I want to try something else, I'm more than willing to just jump in and like learn a new skill to help advance me. Mm-hmm. Were you naturally gifted with numbers as a child? I was. Um, I, I I was, and, and at the same time, I wasn't super great in class because, uh, like I said earlier, I like to be right with the numbers. So I'd always be the person in class raising the hand correcting teachers, and they tend to <laughs> hate, hate that. So I didn't always do well in school, and that was frustrating, but I was always really good with the numbers. Um, I was really good at like, counting up the check at the end of the night and being able to do percentages for tax included in tips. So like, I'm always really good on the fly doing the numbers, but uh, it was a struggle growing up, um, mostly because of like 
just generally who I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny though. I, I, I could imagine. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they use you on the payroll services and accounting as well. I mean, I, I try to help as many departments at our company as possible. So, but I have no, I have no desire to do payroll or finance. I don't <laughs> like finance to the class that I do not uh, ever want to take again. So, oh, okay. <laughs> well, at least you got through it. I'm, I'm pretty sure DMP and Song Trust is glad to have you though now. Yeah, they, they're pretty cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, how was um, South by Southwest as well? It was amazing. Uh, I got to actually talk about data at South by, which was really fun. Actually, I moderated a panel, so I just have all my friends talk about data mm-hmm. at South by, which nice. is really great because it's kind of what we talked about at brunch uh, when we hang out, kind of like how we're able to do our bet- jobs better. So it was really beneficial to people who came to the panel, but it was also really great to like share this knowledge outside of our, our close knit circle. So it was really great. Um, it was really good reception. The room was packed. There was apparently a line out the door, which I was kind of like, guys, this is like our table talk all the time. Like I was a little floored by it. And at the same time, kind of incredulous, but people were like, Oh, this was amazing. So it's really good to kind of find this niche of like data and music and being able to explain and break it down for people. So it's not as intimidating. Mm -hmm. So before this, were you aware of like how many people were actually interested in how data works or is it usually like when you do panels and stuff, it's only like a few people that come by. It's kind of always the same people you see. It's all the same, different, all the same, uh, festivals and conferences because we it's kind of like this conference circuit so you see all the same people at all the panels so it was really uh interesting I tried to keep it diverse and have some of my friends who are journalists because we want to talk about how it's changing and how we talk how it changes the way we talk about it so I try to mix it up and not just have like pure data people data scientists on the panel kind of like talk to it in more of a lame term so that was really exciting because it kind of brought a more diverse group um and something that is so it wasn't as intimidating for musicians themselves um it's something that was probably more focused towards industry people and how they use data to find new artists but also so that artists can be more aware of how uh data is being used and how that will affect their careers got it okay that makes a lot of sense and so i guess i would it was one of the questions that i originally had so i'm gonna kind of go out of order but when you say for industry people to use it, how often are they using it today when, you know, they want to sponsor an artist or they want to sign them to a label? Is this like kind of a norm now or is it still in an infant phase where they're like, mm, we're just checking out the numbers and maybe we might sign them or do a sponsorship deal? Or is it kind of like it's hard and cut? We are only focusing on the numbers before we make a deal. It varies from company to company. There are some companies that are very, uh, data savvy and the head of the curve in terms of all parts of the ecosystem and publishing, uh, downtown song trust, cobalt and labels, it's Republic and Universal generally has like an A&R research where they look at the data. Um, and there are many other labels that do that as well. Um, but then there's also people who still like there, it's a very solid mix. There are people who still go to the shows of like bands they've never heard of and kind of so it really depends company to company. So I can't speak across the board, but there are companies that are very much into the data every day, um, looking at how this will affect. Uh, it's kind of like a risk assessment is what data is. 
because at the end of the day, all of these are companies. So they want to make sure that you have people who will stream your music, people who will buy concert tickets, people who will engage with the content that you're going to put out um, because that kind of gives them assurance that if they bet on you, there will be some sort of return on investment. Got it. Now, are there a few uh, specific platforms that get focused on more than others when it comes to the data that they're measuring? Like what's most frequently measured? Is it YouTube? Is it Spotify, SoundCloud? The general consensus that I've heard from my circle of friends is that it's taken all in context uh, because uh, the weight of the weight of different platforms changes from day to day depending on kind of the whims of the market. So you kind of have to take all of it into context and kind of see. Obviously, streaming is very important, um, but you want to make sure that an artist is has like some sort of authenticity or some connection to people. Uh, so that's where like social come in and engagement is a lot easy. Like engagement is very important because it's great if you have 5 million followers, but if only two people are commenting on any of your content, it's kind of obvious that you probably bought followers and people see through that pretty quickly. Um, it's always one of my favorite things when I'm like going through charts and stuff. And I was like, oh, let's look at their numbers. And that seems really high in comparison to like what they do. And if you have the tools like Next Big Sound, uh, where you're able to graph it, you can kind of uh, see all of a sudden they have this spike in followers, but they didn't put any content up that day. So you're just like, hmm, that's highly sus. So <laughs> uh, it's very easy, like, as as also as uh, the industry is becoming more data savvy, like, they're able to spot those things a mile away. So it's always still a very important wall. We can be like, numbers are great, but engagement is better and making sure that you're authentically connecting to your audience is um, something that we're able to read even just through the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it, it is so easy for people to just, you know, buy the bots and the, the comments and the likes. So what do you, is there like an industry standard that um, people can look at it and say, okay, this looks like a real measurement or it's accurate. These are real people like say, Let's just use the number 100 since it's easy. So if you have 100 followers in percentage wise, what does it look like in terms of people being really engaged? Is it 20 percent? Should you have 20 likes for every 100 followers you have? I can't say across the board. I can say with my background as a data person, generally 20 percent is kind of like what people shoot for, like what you should shoot for. Kind of like I have something like a hundred something followers on Instagram. So I just hope for like, maybe I'll get 20 likes on this post, but I'm not an artist, <laughs> but that's kind of like a good gauge and be like, is this good content or is kind of like not where my audience is at? Um, and that's also kind of like an indicator. It's like you could have all these followers and you might have some people who are really engaged, but you're putting up content that kind of isn't resonating with them. So um, that's also like kind of an indicator both ways. So maybe they're like, oh, there there are some posts that have really great engagement and they have kind of like this, uh, for lack of a better word, shit post. Um, and then there's like two people that interact. And that's like kind of like, okay, maybe this person just needs help with like a social media plan because like sometimes they hit gold and sometimes they hit rock. And um, that's also like, that's why it's, everything is taken in context. Nice. That's interesting. Okay. Now, how important is data when it comes to artist discovery on like different platforms? You have the Spotify playlist and, you know, you have certain channels that 
may get a lot of views on like YouTube. Is that really helping people get discovered by being placed in specific like um, genres of music? If you're if your song is in like an R&B playlist that gets millions of views, is that taken into consideration a lot or just how does it work? It is and it isn't. I'm clearly biased, but uh, because there is such a plethora of music available, having some sort of signal through the data helps you kind of cut through a lot of the noise. So if something is kind of trending higher, even at the lower level, um, you're able to see that on the data side and kind of like, oh, let's pay attention to this specific artist because obviously they're able to connect with something, even if it's local, it's regional. People look at local Shazam charts. They look at Spotify charts. They look at Billboard charts. They look at Pandora charts. There's a plethora of charts uh, that people can look into and tap into and kind of like see where the signal is coming from. So if you're doing something that resonates at all um, across in any sort of uh, channel, it's easier for people who need to be paying attention to you. Um, it's easy to get their attention. Uh, because there's artists who've broken on SoundCloud, and SoundCloud does this thing where you're able to, like, they also have charts which aren't as uh, popular as probably, like, the other charts, but it kind of, like, aggregates, like, who's getting a lot of play this week? And I like going through that sometimes. You're like, okay, who's somebody I haven't listened to? And sometimes I'm just like, wow, I'm very out of touch with, like, whatever this genre is. And sometimes I'm like, oh, this is a bop. I like this a lot. And I'm going to stand for it now. So um, those are really great things like data is great like if you are in tune with like a specific genre or a scene for lack of a better word like if you were very into like Oakland like underground hip-hop like you're gonna know what's coming up because you're probably at those shows all your friends like data is like in lieu of like a larger circle of friends so it's telling you things that your friends are probably like oh listen to this data is like oh you don't have friends in like atlanta underground hip-hop but there's data that tells you oh this is what's popping over there so that's why data is important because it kind of gives you a larger scope of like things of where you're probably not as in tune with mm -hmm. so prior to the digital age are you familiar with what type of data they were looking at before like in major record labels like what type of stuff were they tracking because i assume like the type of stuff you do now wasn't around, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So what were the things that they were measuring? Data has always been available. It's just been in a different format. I think probably like in the early 90s, they were looking at record store orders. Like everyone would send like a nominal amount to like different record stores. And the ones that would get orders for more of like a certain product and larger orders, they'd be like, oh, this market is really paying attention for this kind of sound. Um, there is a book, I believe it's called Anatomy of, I actually, I'm not in front of my library right now, but I will look it up. But, uh, there is a book that kind of talks about how Doug Morris would go down to the, uh, sell or the buyer for a record label. And he kind of like want to see the orders of, uh, what record labels were ordering. And that's how he kind of like figured out like what different uh, songs are popping in different markets which acts are uh, starting to get a signal and he'd be like okay this is something we need to pay attention to and that's kind of like how like kind of what down scan is and all of those things mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a very smart way to figure out who who to put on your roster. That's smarter Doug Morris to do. Now, um, what type of data should be tracked and utilized to help propel an artist's career? Like what type of, uh, I would say, platforms or DSPs or any type of services, which one should be tracked the most? Like if I'm an independent artist, what should I be focused on? If I want to get the attention of somebody potentially signing me or getting some type of sponsorship or investor, um, as an artist, probably like you, you need to have streaming somewhere, and the more accessible it is, the better, because different audiences have different tastes in PSP. Some people are diehard Pandora because they have the algorithm that serves the music. Some people are hardcore Spotify. So making sure it's available on all of them, you don't have to like put like a super ton of marketing but make sure like oh people it gets it can get surfaced um and then using kind of like data from social uh like facebook's generally so important instagram is becoming more important because people are visual creatures um twitter is pretty good using that data kind of interact with your audience um there is an interesting case study about a wonder and how they use data um to inform they would release a song a month um, and they would use their, their data to kind of gauge how they should perform their songs. Um, and even before they were finished with the song a month, because they did it for you, so they'd have 12 months in, they ended up getting a record deal because they were using data and leveraging kind of like their social interaction with the songs they were releasing and kind of like tuning in to the reaction to be able to build a bigger, um, build a bigger release or, uh, signal about their music and so they were able to get signed based off just using the data for that when you say perform their song you mean like they were looking at which one was performing the best and that's the ones that they would do at the shows well yeah they would yeah they would use it, the data in conjunction with real life performances to so kind of like oh this song uh people are kind of like dropping off or like maybe it will not like open with that song or kind of like couch in between. That's not like a fan favorite, but still it gave them very valuable information about how people were reacting to their music. Okay. Now within your experience in, in this field, is there a trend in KPIs that you notice like right before an artist has reached the point of some sort of independent success or stability? I'm sorry. What was that? The first part of that question. One more time. Is like, have you like, are there specific, key performance indicator that you always have seen consistently before an artist have made their way from just being an underground artist to somebody that can have independent success or stability? Have you consistently seen like, oh, they all had this unique thing about them? Like maybe they all had a million followers on a certain platform or they all had a million streams on a certain platform. Are there certain things that you see that stick out between everybody that can transition from making it a hobby to an actual full-time career sadly i know this probably isn't answer you why but no everybody's different it's just kind of building on what your personal brand is and continuing to grow your audience because um, some people are going to do really well in social media but like they're not great performers but uh their their songs are so they decide oh maybe not tour as much but just like give people some content some like pretty viral memes some dank memes those are great um we've seen a lot of that with the rise of different songs in the last year like there's been the 
mannequin challenge that went viral that definitely um helped elevate i mean uh black beatles was a really great song but that definitely it became like a national kind of like it permeated like kind of national airways because it was attached to like this viral meme uh so it it you kind of just kind of have to prepare yourself for like lightning to strike and just work as hard as you can and kind of know who you are and who your audience is and kind of um, build on that mm-hmm. the best that you can. And that's interesting that you brought that up. Is there like people who study how like challenges and trendy things have affected the way music is consumed versus the traditional way, like, or more people getting their music played or listened to because somebody's making a video to it on Instagram versus them just releasing it, you know, as an album or EP. Is there like a specific group who's studying that? There's a growing amount of data journalists and music journalists who are looking at the data and kind of um, being able to study these long term. Uh, Sherry Hughes is a really good music journalist. Emily Blake's a really good music journalist who's also a data journalist. We kind of like look at the studies and are able to point out to you like different trends that have happened um, through the data. And they're able to kind of say, oh, well, this is the first year that hip hop has come to like the Hot 100 chart in a really big way. And it hasn't been this way for a very long time. And so they're full of these amazing insights. And I just like kind of like want to point to them because they're really great at it. Um, but this is something that they brought up also during South by Southwest. They're just like the memes have like been able to breathe new life into songs that probably wouldn't have gotten as big airplay as they were before. Right. Because I was wondering, like, will people start using this as a strategy? Like, if the data comes out and it supports this method, if people are going to be like, I'm not going to release a song just by itself anymore. My actual strategy is going to be releasing every song with a meme or with a a dance or some type of challenge to it. Like, I wonder if it'll get to that point where that's the actual strategy versus the traditional release. Uh, it Maybe that'd be great, but you can't predict virality because you can't predict what's going to connect with people there are people who do like oh this is the challenge etc and it does pick up a little bit but you can't uh you can't plan for it to like become this huge hit thing just because you attach it to something uh especially if you it's something you like if it's content that you really believe in you kind of want it to be able to stand on its own uh while having it be elevated by a meme is great uh, then it will just become kind of a uh, fixed point in time and you kind of want a song to be able to transcend that, if that makes sense. Uh, so you, you'll want something that you're like, I can release this if it connects to like a meme. Awesome. Perfect. If not, it's still something I believe enough in that as I believe that it will uh, last for, because memes kind of like come and they, they die off and you're kind of, like, you can point to memes that stayed specifically in like 2002 because they don't really, uh, they don't translate well through time. So you don't kind of want to attach your song to something that's not going to translate well through time. It's great if it's like really good to like get the rest of your catalog and the rest of your workout, but probably not like something that you should hinge your entire marketing efforts on. Right. So it's better if the song has its own legs first and then the meme gets attached to it versus trying to do it the opposite way. Yes. Got it. Okay. Now, how often is data used in the music industry when it comes to leveraging deals with um, 
record labels or getting publishing deals? Because I know you guys are a publishing company. Does that ever come into play when you guys are, you know, doing co-publishing deals and trying to figure out what that might look like for an artist? If they're saying like, yo, I'm doing this a lot. Look at my data. I think I want a larger part of the pie. Do you guys consider that? Uh, for publishing, not as much because by that time, especially it depends on the people we work with. Like Songfest is far more indie and it's kind of like the same deal across the board. It's very democratized. Uh, for downtown, it's a little bit more of the established songwriters. So that's more like based on like what your songs have already done. And that's specifically on the vehicle of the song. Where you're at a label, that's more, it's a little bit more speculative if they're signing you as a new artist because uh, you don't have an album yet. You don't have, you might not have an EP. So that's data, having like a large social following is how it gives you a little bit more leverage there. If you're a new artist getting signed to label and you're like, I've got all these followers. I've got, and remember, engagement is key. I've got all of this engagement. Like my fans will uh, come to my shows. My fans will buy my merch. My fans will uh, stream my music. They will buy my vinyls, et cetera. That gives you a little bit more leverage than like walking in being like, I just write really good songs. They sound great. Because uh, then kind of labels like, what are they going to sell? If you can be like, I have, I come with my own audience. They'll be like, all right, cool. And you'd be like, this is kind of like what I want in terms of a deal. And it gives you a little bit more negotiating power. Now, when it comes to um, processing that data, are you helping on the side of how to actually make that transfer into actual dollars are you helping in that area as well because if a person say has ten thousand followers and say these are real followers but then when it's time for them to go perform nobody is coming to their shows you know like are you involved in like how do we get these people who actually have eyeballs on you to actually come out and see you perform or to actually buy your records uh like, do I do that now? Currently, no. Okay. Uh, have I before? It's just kind of like, that's where the engagement is like, great, you have all these followers, but are you engaging with them? Are they compelled by your content in any way to engage back? That's why I've, I've been like trying to hit on the head. Engagement is super important because those are the people, people who talk to you and like comment on every post, like in a thoughtful way, not just like first. Uh, <laughs> Those that like will engage. Those are the people who will come to your shows. Like, granted, they're close enough. So, being able to have enough of those people in different markets, where you're like, I could play a show here, and people would come to the show. And these are also the same people who are going to tell their friends about your show and like about your music and how they your their friends should get into it too. Those are the people who are going to be on the street team. So, those people, the way that social media is able is super helpful. Is it that these people don't have to be in your neighborhood? These are people that don't have to be in your own backyard, but you can engage them through the World Wide Web and be able to kind of like be able to start building markets of where you where you don't live. So uh, it's great if you have that audience, but again, um, you can pay for followers. If you have engagement and like true engagement, these are like you're like oh I've got probably a good 50 people in Dallas, Texas that really like I engage with and we are able to talk. Maybe I could do like a small venue show or open for somebody there because I've got enough pull to be able to sell these tickets. 
And then you let those people know in advance. It's just like, hey, fun fact, I'm coming to your town. It's going to be like a real, it's going to be like a secret show, but like you and all your friends can come. Tickets are like $5, et cetera, whatever. And that's how you're able to start building those markets because you're able to use the data that you have and the engagement that you have to kind of like build this in real life experience. Now, for someone who's just purely independent, is them by themselves and they don't have a great person like you on their team, what services could they use or should they know about that can help them track the data? Um, in 2018, it's really great because every, almost every platform offers some sort of data component. Like Spotify has an artist dashboard where you can see the data of how your music's reacting across their platform. Pandora has the same one. There's Next Big Sound. There's Endify. There is sound charts. There's a plethora of tools that one can access. Um, Google Analytics, if you have a website, so that you can kind of see where people are logging into your website from. Kind of like, okay, these are markets that people are, might be interested. Um, anytime that you have like a web store, like there, it'll also give you information of kind of like the breakdown of where people live. So you're like, oh, these are people that are buying merch. There's a bunch of people in Flor- Miami, Florida that are like really into my stuff. Maybe I should like go into like a small show there. So there's a there's a bevy of options um, in terms of aggregates. Like there's Nextly Sound is pretty good uh, in terms of aggregates of social, um, but it's great to have context of everything. So just being super savvy about that and being like, okay, let me check. Like be like Monday's the day you check all your numbers and kind of like, okay, here's where I stand. Here's kind of like new th- new developments in the past week. Um, and how do we leverage this to kind of like make decisions going forward? Just being super diligent about that. Okay. So just being like consistent all the time. Now, yes. when it comes to um, data supporting, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Because <laughs> I had it and then I, I thought about something else. So I might come back to it. <laughs> Give me a second. That's fine. I do that all the time. Right. Because you're saying a lot of stuff and I'm like, I don't want to cut you off. But then it's like all these things are sparking in my brain. So um, I'll just go to the next question, which is, can you give us like some real world examples since you've been working in this field for some time of examples that how data has played a role in helping artists cross over from that quote unquote starving artist to a full time working musician? Like or some examples that people can look at. That's where I referenced the a wonder case study because they went from independent artists to sign within 12 months because they were using the data to kind of reconfigure their approach about how uh, they should perform, how their songs are reacting, because within a month, it's a very agile time to where you're like, okay, this works, this didn't work. And you can like move very quickly. So they went from unsigned to like independent unsigned to like signed to Republic Records in the US and Island Records in the UK. I had to try and keep that right. I actually had to look it up. Um but that's kind of uh like being consistent with the data. They gave themselves twelve months to be very consistent with the data and kind of use that to their advantage. Um so that's kind of one of the best examples I can think of in currently of how an artist went from independent to like science using just data. And what's the name again? I didn't catch it right when you said it. Oh, Wonder. Usually stylized as, yeah, as O W. Okay. Uh, I wonder. 
Now, just to go back to the next big sound for a second, is that something where just like an independent artist can sign up and then they get to see all of their data like once they enter their um, their usernames for all these platforms? Yes. I mean, it usually takes a little bit of time because it starts from time of connection. Mm-hmm. So it usually takes about 24 to 48 hours for them to start getting numbers in. And then it'll kind of have a historical uh, number for you from the time you connect. So the sooner you get on, the better, and you're able to like start seeing your numbers grow. And the book that I referenced earlier that I can think of is called The Song Machine, mm. where it talks about how people would track uh, hit songs. So okay. there you go. All right. Now, is there data out there to support the um, how much consistency people are having in a specific area, whether it's releasing videos once a week or once a month or making posts every day versus not posting every day. Is there data to support how it's more beneficial if you do these things more consistently versus someone who doesn't? There, there are, I know of, but I can't think of right now. It's more beneficial to post consistently, but that doesn't mean constantly. You have to find a rhythm that works for you and your audience. So there's not like any hard data that's like once a week, that's what you need to post or like once a day, that's what you need to post because it varies. So you see a lot more sustained growth by people who are consistent in their postings or in their brand or in their message and kind of just kind of like, oh, they know who they are. They know what they're talking about. And I can kind of come here on a kind of regular basis to kind of see if they, what new content they put up. So what, in your opinion, is the best type of stuff to post up or the type of videos to release? Because you talked about engagement. Now, if you're just posting up something random, like, you know, people take pictures of their food and put that up. Is that something that people will engage with? I mean, they will, but that's not them coming to your shows. Definitely don't put put up, don't post uh, puppy videos. I mean, they're cute, but you should be also be on brand to like, that's really what I'm about. I'm really into puppies. Like, that's fine if that's what you're about. But if you're just like, I just want people to click like on this. Like that, like that, we can see through that. Because I'll see people who are posting, like, their horoscope every day. And it's like, cool, that's content. But what about the rest of you? And what makes me want to engage with you based on this? So generally compelling content that is consistent. So if it's something you're just like, yeah, I definitely would be into this and it's something that you're passionate about, so there's odds are somebody else is passionate about it. But if it's but if it's like your burger from uh Wendy's, I mean, you could be really passionate about that, but like let's be honest, like it's not in and out. So uh, <laughs> I'm from LA, so I'm very biased about like okay. where I get a burger. Okay. So uh that you have to think is this compelling? Is it on brand? Is it consistent with like everything else? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the answer is no, put it in your Insta story instead. Just just a thought. Wow, um, that's a great tip. That makes a lot of sense. So if if you were someone's manager, hypothetically, what would that look like to you in terms of posting? Like, what would you say people should be posting up, or even percentage wise, should it be? 80% make sure it's related to your craft and then the other 20% yeah. can be random, you know, what would, yeah, like, what would you tell your artist love, to do? People love an inside look into the artist process. So like if you're in the studio 
if you're like writing lyrics, like make sure you document that. Like it takes people along in the journey. Like if you're like having a fun day at like Six Flags, like people want to see you as a whole person. Um, but like m- make sure that it's kind of like the gist of the page is like I'm a musician and I make music. O- like obviously, if you're w- riffing through like different tunes, like put set up your iPhone on like hands free mode and like take a like take a little short video of you like singing like the chorus or like putting together the bridge and so people kind of feel connected to your art as they watch it grow it's kind of like when people show you videos of their children growing up and then you feel more connected even if you've never met that child and that song is finished and you release it they've seen you make the bridge they've seen you make the chorus they've seen you write out the lyrics they're just kind of like oh this is what it looks like when it's done and they're a little bit more connected to it so that's in terms of content that works that is great content um don't make it like super formulaic where it's the same thing every time but just kind of like this is me in the studio this is me having fun and people always also want to see you having fun doing this if it looks like work nobody's gonna like buy into that where you're like oh i have to go to the studio again this is the worst like nobody wants to hear that like they want they want a little bit of like oh this is super fun like because a lot of people want to be artists or musicians or creatives and so kind of like seem like i really enjoy this i'm so grateful for like these opportunities like that's that's the good stuff that people are all like always ready to get on board with so those are as uh, as somebody who used to do that and i don't anymore i would always be like well when you're like building a song make sure you like capture some content or like tweet about like how how much fun you're having or like how you're like super excited or what the song means to you um, that kind of gives people context for like the content that's going to be coming out soon and kind of gets them to buy in before the song's even dropped. So when you're like, hey, I dropped the song, it isn't like a blind Beyonce drop in the middle of the night because she's Beyonce. She can do that. But people are already like waiting for it and they're super excited and it's here. It's like being like, oh, this, I've been like, whole, like, I've been telling you about this and now it's here and now we can all enjoy it. And they're kind of like, yeah, let's all enjoy this now. So it's a good lead up to like the release of a song. Is there data to support that, like, this helps in regards to pre-sales? Uh, I feel like should have probably been more prepared for this. But, yeah, <laughs> there is. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I think a lot of this has kind of been somebody who's been in data, so I've seen this and uh, these are things that we've noticed. But I don't. I think that data in the music industry is so new that we don't have, like, full documentation of, like, this is why you should do this because... We're just like, oh, finally, we found something that works. Let's just keep going. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a process that we're learning in the music industry. I think a lot more other industries in terms of data are far more mature than we are. Um, but we're getting there. It, it, we've gotten past that. It's a buzzword. People are taking it far more seriously. So that's kind of the first start. But there's not a whole lot of documentation and case studies about how this works. And there probably should should be more. And hopefully we'll get there. But at this time, it's just kind of like you need to talk to somebody who sees the data all the time and they can kind of be like, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll come soon. You know, somebody's always trying to figure out what the next wave is or how they can actually look at data and make it work. So I'm pretty sure it's on the way. Yeah. Um, Kind of just to go back to that previous question, the reason why I asked about like how much should you post about, you know, yourself versus your craft is because I hear a lot of people suggest that you need to let people in 
on your real life. You know, people want to see who you are and what you're doing. And um, so that's kind of why I asked that question. But also, is there, do you think there's too much of your craft? Like if someone's only posting, um, this is my next tour date or this is the next album that I'm dropping. Yeah, because then it, then it feels far more markety and nobody likes to be sold on anything. People like to buy, but nobody likes to be sold on anything. So you want to make sure that it feels like it's a natural part of your life. Like I'm in the studio a lot because I work a lot, but I'm a full person and I like, I like cooking. I like going on runs with my dogs. If that's your jam, I like dogs. I don't like running, but like that you want to be able to be like, I'm a full person, but I'm very hugely passionate about music. If it's just like, Oh, here's the flyer for my next show. Oh, here is like the, drop card for like my new single like if you don't have anything that puts it in context that you are a human being it feels just like a community uh a community board where they just put flyers and you're just like cool mm-hmm. nobody follows community boards <laughs> but they will follow real people yeah. real people that you engage with and have experiences with and connect with in an authentic way that's why it's kind of like it's a good balance to be like hey i do music it's really important to me and i'm fairly good at it Hopefully you're fairly good at it, but I'm also a person who also enjoys these other things because you might connect with fans that wouldn't have other, otherwise been fans on like things that aren't related to music. Like if they're really into uh, Gregorian chanting like music, and you're really into that, you can be like, cool. I also am in a band. Like after you've already connected with them, and you know we use Gregorian chants as kind of like the base for a lot of songs. You might have just got you a new fan. Uh, that's really random. <laughs> but um, there are other things. Like, people have a multitude of interests. And you can kind of, like, gain more followers or more, like, a larger audience by, like, being able to connect with who you are fully instead of just be like, I just make music. That's all I'm about. Mm-hmm. Like, that's cool. But, like, do you like chocolate ice cream? That mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be also cool. Mm-hmm. Um so making sure you bring your full person to your craft and not just kind of like this place. Yeah, that's true. I can attest to that because there have been artists that I've never heard their music before, but I've watched the interview of them and then I liked who they were as a person and what they stood for. So it made me go back and check out their catalog. So Yeah, and you just want them to do well. So you're like, I like this person. I want them to do well. I want to see what they're about. And right. then you go back and check out their music. Right. Okay. Now, since you specifically work in in the publishing field, I wanted to know how are you guys tracking data? Because everybody you work with is not an artist. Sometimes they're only a songwriter. So working for a publishing company, what kind of data are you guys tracking for those clients who are specifically writers? Like before you sign them, are you looking at the number of songs they have placed on albums or how many of their songs were licensed in films or how many people are doing covers or remixes? What does that look like? Yeah, we are looking at all of that as we're like vetting them. And then once we have them, we want to make sure that they're registered with all of the society so that we can maximize the the royalties that they're going to get and kind of make sure. Because at least that's what I'm looking at because that's kind of like I want to make sure that these people are able to make a living. So I like check in. One of my favorite things is like black box payment. So when a service uses your music, and they don't know who the money goes to, they have to put the money aside mm-hmm. so that, that they can eventually pay out either on market share of like who they know makes music or um, if people are able to claim it. So what 
one of my projects is every year. I go through the various black boxes from different streaming providers, mm-hmm. and I go through and I use our data matching our database to any sort of primary key that they can give us, whether it's an ISRC, an ISWC, an HFA code, a song title. I go through it and I use queries to match our data to theirs and so that I can be like, hey, this is all of ours and you should be paying us for that so that we can pay out the appropriate person. And so that's been one of my favorite projects is even though it's long, it's arduous and I end up swearing at my computer a lot. <laughs> but um, it makes me it. really happy to... I do because it makes it it means that we get money for these songwriters that they wouldn't have ordinarily got, and I'm able to use data to do that. Um, and so that makes me really happy because like it sometimes it's a lot of money and you're just like oh they were gonna pay out Beyonce because Beyonce always is like super huge, but like instead it goes to this person who like has like three songs total, but like those three songs did really well. So that that makes me happy. It kind of democratizes things a little bit more. Um, that's how I use data on like for clients, and then kind of like as we bring them in, we kind of want to see like how well their songs have performed in the past because we have the luxury of past data to kind of be like, okay, is this something that we feel like is a safe bet, um, and that we can kind of like offer them a deal that is comparable to uh, their catalog's worth. So. What was the tool that you said you used? I kind of missed it. Was it like a, a Aquarius or Aquarium or something? Oh, yes. I, I So analytics, we use structured query languages so that we can uh, match data mm-hmm. or essentially ask anything of our database um, and it will give us the answer. It's kind of like talking to your computer. Mm-hmm. So it's like essentially talking to your uh, Echo or <laughs> your mm-hmm. Google Home, except you have to write it out and mm-hmm. then... If you write it correctly and ask it nicely, it will give you the exact answer you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, so does there have to be some type of data, at least one piece of information for you to actually track down the creators? Yes. Work? Okay. Because I was wondering, like, how do you uh, just do that in this big field? Like, if I'm a songwriter or an artist and I put out something, but I never had any data to match it, like, I was wondering how would you guys go find that for me? If well, nothing well usually when you put out a song, like if you release it through a distributor, you get a UPC, an ISRC. So those that's data. That's usually metadata, but it's still data. I could I could try to match it by the name of the artist and the song or the name of the songwriter. Hopefully that's right and it's been recorded properly. Uh, that's a little bit more argu- tenuous because data is not always clean. But if you have like an inter- international standard recording code or an international standard court code, then that's like, it's in the name, it's international standard. So it's standardized. It's like one, to, it's a one-to-one or one-to-many if it's a ISRC to, or a song to an ISRC because there's different versions. Um, but it's kind of like, this is a unique code that traces only back to like this songwriter. And that's usually easier to track. Do you guys have a system that kind of tracks things that are not online yet? So maybe like, how do you, do you guys have like a policing system for say someone who's like an independent filmmaker and they may have used this writer's or this artist's work inside their film, but they didn't necessarily get a license for it? Do you oh, guys- there are like, there are tools built into those things. Especially, uh, like independent filmmakers, uh, are a little bit harder, but anything that ends up on like streaming, like a YouTube, etc., 
they're like they do um they have technology to do like underline underlining audio scan so like we're able to like see people who upload because it's uploaded gener- user generated content ugc uh so like if you're in your bedroom and you have like a song playing in the background like youtube's able to detect oh this is this song and it'll like if your publisher label etc is like plugged into their like youtube system like they will get served that video and like somebody who's familiar with your work because you're assigned to them um is able to be like oh yeah that is our song playing in the background and if the video is monetized or if it's monetized at all then guess what some of that monetization gets cut to like the artist performance and to the publisher so there are people who do that um with independent films, it's really hard for um, people to get away with that because somebody's obviously going to like say something, and uh, especially as publishers, we're fairly like cool if you ask us permission, but worse if you ask for forgiveness because it's like, well, you already used it and you're making money off of work that isn't yours. Because if you use it as soundtrack, you're making uh, commercial money, then you're using somebody else's work and that's basically plagiarism. So, so we're like, well, now there's this extra penalty because had you asked us for permission, like we could have like made a deal, but now it's like, Oh, this is, you're making money off the, like it just ask for permission. Right. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right. it, it will, it will come out in the wash. It will, people will find out. So. Yeah. And I imagine it only would get worse if the movie actually blew up because then those damages. Oh yeah. Would, be much higher than if they would have dealt with it yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, we mm-hmm. see we see a lot of uh, those infringements because that becomes a infringement case. Like there was just that huge case of um, got to give it up versus blurred line, and they're just like, oh, well, we were inspired by it, but we definitely didn't use it, and everybody's like, and if you listen to it, you're like, mm, okay, but like the yeah, court was just like, um, the, yeah, so like. So they went to court and then they had to appeal. And that's expensive. Just ask for permission first. Just ask for permission. What did it come out to be like? $8 million or something? I forgot. Okay, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And then there's like, oh, well, we'll appeal. And then the appeal court was just like, nah, homie, we see you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and people are like, well, this is going to be horrible for songwriters. It's like, no, it's it's actually like, make sure, sure that you, it makes a more collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Like you need to ask if you're going to, you are inspired by somebody else's work and it sounds a lot like their original work you mm. should just ask for permission give them a cut of the songwriting credit right there you go easy and for the, easy, those easy. guys to be like in the industry for so long they know the protocols or at least the people who are supposed to handle that for them yeah but they're just kind of like oh well i was drinking a lot and i have no idea what was going on like you can watch the depositions they are hilarious um, because is it on YouTube? Uh, somebody just got it's probably on YouTube. Uh, it was just kind of like, oh, somebody got thrown under the bus pretty hard. Um, but it it was kind of, it's just kind of like, oh, well, people have ears. Please be bear that in mind when you're making work inspired by other people. Right. So. Now I heard you mention earlier some of the um, societies and associations that you guys kind of make sure that your clients are signed up with. I always like to get a list from every guest that I talk to just to make sure we get as many as we can. So can you just give us your list that you guys usually make sure you go through? I heard you mention ASCAP, HFA, 
but I want to do it on the data side as well. So, you know, the next big scenario, oh. what should every client be signed up with in terms of royalties and in terms of data? As much as I would love to give you an exhaustive list, the list is expensive. And I know you already talked to Chinua and Diana. So uh-huh. I know they're giving you top list. 10. So I, yeah. Um, it, 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 top 10 depends on where you're located. So, uh-huh. like, we have that societies from, like, we have U.S. societies. We have uh, Brazil. We have Australia. We have uh, Germany, U.K., uh, so it's just kind of like it fluctuates the pen, but we have something like 30 plus societies mm-hmm. that we can associate people with. Mm-hmm. So I well, generally like, US okay. specific. Well, U.S. specific, that's just like ASCAP, BMI, uh, SOCAN, mm-hmm. uh, CSAC for like North America. Like those are generally like you associate with one of those. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of take like if you with us and we just kind of take care of the rest make sure mm-hmm. that if there is you're getting any sort of play anywhere else that we also collect on your behalf and like make sure you get that money mm-hmm. um but we really just need one pro like in your home territory to be associated with and then we kind of like i know from like in terms of what we do we make sure to take care of the rest mm-hmm. and do you guys well, I guess this will make sense for you guys to register with them with Sound Exchange as well, because they still do pay the writers and the publishers. Is that correct, or do they only pay the master recording owners? Um, I think the way it's set up currently is only the owners, because mm-hmm. um, we can we have deals directly with with the DSP so that they don't have to go to Sound Exchange. Oh, okay, got it. And then, like on the the data side, you mentioned. Um, next big sound and did you say sound charts uh yes there's a company called sound charts there's indify there's a lot of tools um what else is there bds media base sound scan yeah anywhere you put your music they generally also offer you some sort of dashboard to see how your music is reacting Mm -hmm. on that specific dashboard like spotify has it pandora has it um I'm not sure if Title has it. Cause I'm not even sure what's going on in Title. <laughs> I'm hating a lot on. Sorry, sorry I'm a stop. <laughs> you hating on Title? Yeah, <laughs> uh, they. I I've heard really great things about how the sound quality is amazing. Uh-huh. I just think that when they released it, they're just like it's for all of the musicians, and then they like created out like all of these musicians who made lots of money, and they're just like. Oh, you could have gone so many ways with this, homie. I remind you, I'm a marketing. I was a marketing major. It's like, so we didn't go with like superior sound quality angle. We went with, uh, you should give Madonna more money. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, cool, cool, cool. I want you to do well, but like, who okayed this? Um, like, if, and then Apple did the polar opposite at their, uh, their convergence. That happens a little bit later where they picked the songwriter who didn't even have his stuff up on streaming yet. They just <laughs> they went so far in the opposite yeah. direction. I was like, hey guys, there's a happy medium. Um, I'm getting way off track. Nah, but uh, <laughs> there are plenty of different places to find data as an independent musician mm-hmm. um, because the industry is trying to make it easier for people to understand what's going mm-hmm. on. And when you say they have the dashboard for it, do you mean through like 
the song trust system or DMP system, or are these um, things that people can access specifically from those companies? Specifically from those companies. Like if you're an independent artist and you play on Pandora, you can sign up for the artist marketing platform, okay. which will, which will allow you to not only be able to drop in like little 10 second, 10 to 15 second little messages, be like, Hey, this is my new single. But it will also give you like feedback on the plays and kind of like it'll point you in the next big sound, which is also give you like, Hey, this is how the activity of that song is doing, etc. This is how your campaigns are doing. So you're like feature your song. Um, same thing with Spotify. You're able to kind of see like how the music you put on their platform is performing. Mm -hmm. Now, is this data pretty easy to read just for the average person who has no background in it? Like I'm looking at all of this stuff and I'm like, how do I even calculate it to make it make sense to where I can use it to benefit me? Is it that easy or should yeah. you have somebody on your team that's like, well, the numbers are like this. Know. So you should I know. focus on this area more. No, they are generally made to be easy to read with the artist in mind because mm -hmm. um, it's supposed to be able to work from everybody from your bedroom DJs to uh, the biggest artists in the world. So it's supposed to be something that you could look at. It's very graph friendly. So if people understand a graph going up and to the right is good and graph going down, like down into the right is not, not so good. Mm -hmm. So we try like everything. Uh, across all of the platforms that I've seen are made to be very user-friendly. Okay. Now, if you could tell an artist to increase their data in a specific area that would be beneficial and in their best interest, what area would that be in terms of what holds the most weight right now in the digital world or even in the physical? Mm. Like, would you say it's most important to have a really huge Instagram following because that's what investors or labels are focused on most? No, say investors and labels are focused on streams and sales. Cash is always king at the end of the day. Uh, and in terms of social, uh, there is no one because different platforms resonate with different demographics. Like if you are an older R&B uh, artist that caters mostly to like moms and stuff, your crowd is on Facebook. Like that is... <laughs> That is where moms are on their lunch break when they get home, put up baby pictures and be like, girl, do you know what my kids did today? <laughs> that is where your audience is. That's funny. If you are with like the influencer crowd, I do like they're into fashion and to like being Instagram baddies, guess what? Your audience is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. If they are super into like politics and just like screaming into the void right now, it's probably your audience is probably on Twitter. Like there's a platform different demographics but just make sure whatever platform you pick you are able to engage with that audience mm -hmm. but have a good streaming and have good engagement and you're pretty much setting yourself up for success it's not i don't want to be too prescriptive and have people come back to it i did what you told me it's like that's why i'm not in those <laughs> manager anymore but yeah, <laughs> if you do these things you'll be in a lot better place than if you didn't do those things yeah no those are those are good tips i like that what about like some other platforms what is Snapchat? What do you need to do to be successful on Snapchat? Queen Reader said don't fuck with Snapchat right now, so uh, oh, I'm going to stay out of that. Okay. But, <laughs> but um, if you – Snapchat is also very interesting because it gives people a glimpse into your life. Mm -hmm. um, 
and like being able and it gives you like the, the fun aspect of all the filters that instagram doesn't have uh but they have stories they have geolocators um so it's really great for like hey i'm doing a secret show uh, and then you kind of like it's, it's very ephemeral so like things that you want to be the content to be material and kind of like this uh shared experience like this shared fleeting experience snapchat is great for that mm-hmm kind of like it's our little secret of like what's going on and like it's already like you can point people to snapchat and be like follow my snapchat today for like special announcements etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. and kind of like you'll get like new followers etc but then you'll be able to share this like experience with them because it will become an experience because it's it's fleeting it's material uh, and you'll be like oh remember that one time where they did a bunch of insta stories and like showed us where they hid tickets for a concert mm-hmm. but like it's disappears so you're like you have to be paying attention it kind of like gets people to like cut through like all the distractions and noise because they have to pay attention to a snapchat story otherwise they oh you missed it homie Mm -hmm. so sad now what about like linkedin because i heard they're becoming more interactive now like you can post more like videos and other type of things where i don't know if it's becoming more Mm -hmm. like facebook but does that work for musicians as well it might for some i I haven't met any musicians that aren't like essentially talking about how to build uh, a brand. I feel like LinkedIn is far more like the professional ilk. And like, if you're not saying something that's kind of like, Oh, this is how you advance in your career. that it gets kind of gets dismissed as like, Oh, you misposted this on LinkedIn. You should have went to Facebook. This isn't Facebook. Um, Cause it's, it's a far more focused. Like LinkedIn is uh, focused on, your career trajectory, not kind of like the social aspect of it. There is some social aspect as you can comment, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like, Hey, I'm speaking at this conference as an artist, or, um, I wrote this dissertation about how it is to be an artist. And, um, these are the conditions that we're facing. And these are like, as a community, we should overcome and far more, uh, cerebral, mm-hmm. Um, in terms of LinkedIn, instead of just be like, here, here's my music video. Mm-hmm. Everybody give it a like. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that content doesn't fare very well on LinkedIn, given that it's, given its environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great for connecting, being like, hey, you were the sound engineer at my last show. You did, you were, like, really great. I'd love to, like, connect with you and kind of, like, or, like, the next time I'm in town, taking a cough and kind of get some tips. Because you, like, you put lighting on me like nobody else ever has, and it was great. So, et cetera. Uh, like it's great for those things mm-hmm. like professional wise um i i think if you like if you turn it to somewhere that's far more pro- promotional in terms of like here's my music video it it doesn't read as well as it could be if you placed it on the right platform. right it still has the um the perception of being like a business networking space yeah okay now do you think that the days are over for things like tumblr or people still like individual blogs. I know other blogs that are out there that people are already been going to that have, you know, big brands that they're fine. But for an artist, is it still useful to create their own blog and try to get engagement? And I believe it can be incredibly useful if you have something to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that that's the most important thing. If you're just like, I'm going to put up pictures of, they become far too markety then that's where you run into the risk of like, oh, it's probably not the best idea for you. If you are able to articulate like all these ideas you have and how 
incorporates into your art, then that's it's an amazing tool for you to use. And you can use, you can host it on anything. Have it connect to your website. Mm-hmm. That that's great. Um, I don't think the days of uh, blogging are over. I think uh, Tumblr had a has had a rough period since its acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also like other spaces that have cropped up. Um, since then, it's that have been far more welcoming to creators in terms of who like to blog and make sure, like things like Medium and being able to uh, have creators get paid for like the things that they share. Mm. So I think blogging is still like we are still essentially a um, a community of storytellers, and I think artists are really great at being storytellers as long as they have. Um, some sort of message to say. And so I think blogging is still pretty good media to like get that out when like 200 and oh, what are we, 280 characters on Twitter, uh, when that's not enough, you like, I have a blog. I have some thoughts on these things. I haven't used it. It'd be Twitter great if you could read it. Because I thought it was like 140. They upgraded. Yeah, they up people. <laughs> I haven't used I, it so the first long. day I got it. I know. First day I got it, I was like, why did they think that giving me this many characters is a good idea? <laughs> I'm pretty good at a GIF. Right. Like, I know how to use a well-placed GIF. I don't need uh, I don't need this many characters. It's a waste. Right. Okay. Now, I know that uh, Facebook and Instagram both now have the live side to it. So what about things like Periscope? And I don't know any other bigger ones outside of that. Do you think that those are useful or have like Facebook and Instagram taken over in that space or people just going there to use the live? I think people, uh, people are using whatever is native to the app. They're most useful. Like we talked about how different audiences mm-hmm. have like different platforms. They prefer whatever is most is native to that app is what people are going to use. If you're on Twitter all the time, there's a button that just says, like make this live. Like, Super easy. But is there a large um, user base on still on Periscope, though? I don't know the numbers. Uh, neither do I. I so I would be ignorant to try to pretend that I do. Because um, I just know a lot I, of people, I don't see a lot of people like using that, so I was just wondering because it doesn't seem like it but was But you big. also just said you're not on Twitter a lot. So yeah, I'm not, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people still on Twitter, but... Cause I, I like, I guess maybe last year I was seeing a lot of people use Periscope more cause they would be like linking it to their Facebook, but then I haven't been seeing anybody link it to their Facebook lately. Well, that's cause Facebook was like, LOL, we could do a live feature right. too. Right. Facebook sees everything that's going on. They're like, but we could do this too. True. Yeah. They just take over. Oh, one, one more interesting space. I wonder about, uh, MySpace now because they now have is it is it just like a music platform now? Wait, did MySpace has come back? Yes, what? yes. Now they have it's like MySpace music now because it used to be just like the regular profiles of you know people's personal lives, but now they have MySpace music. So I was just wondering, like, is that really having the effect? Because there's still a lot of people on there. I mean, it's probably a lot of people who forgot to deactivate the profiles. But, True. Um, I digress. Yeah, you should look yourself um, up. You might be on there still if you had a profile. Uh, I don't want to see that profile. <laughs> throwback. I know what I put on there. I was hoping it would die with the internet. No. Nope. Um, Cyberspace. It's, it's still up there. Um, 
But yeah, I was wondering if that's something that you guys still track and still, you know, encourage your clients. Hey, get on MySpace page. I I don't know. I, I, sorry, let me make this particular. <laughs> I don't think since I've actually interacted in a professional uh, cadence with musicians, I've ever said, get on MySpace. So mm-hmm. there's that because um, I'm old. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's why I was like, oh, this is a thing again. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe if it starts, if we start seeing more traction about the popularity of my space, I'm sure um, we'll come back to it. But for the most part, a lot of uh, what a lot of industry have kind of been like, oh, my space was a thing, and they've never come back to revisit it. That's kind of how, like, we're seeing a resurgent in like vinyl sales, and that's. And because we see a resurgent, we're paying more attention to it. We have yet to see that resurgent of people be like, oh, you should check out my MySpace. Like, we have, like, that's not kind of a thing yet or anymore. It might become one. And we'll be like, all right, we'll check back in and see, like, what's going on here. Um, But we haven't yet. So I can't say that I've heard any artists be like, check out my MySpace and the multitude of events they go to. or that I've told them to jump on my space. Okay. Now we kind of touched on um, some of uh, how data is helping artists today, and and you know my assumption is that it's very important, very very important. But do you also think that success can be achieved in today's market without it, or do you absolutely necessarily have to be tracking data without data? Yeah. What I mean, just like being involved in a digital world and you know that type of data. Can you just be a person that releases your music the old-fashioned way and still maintain a level of success without having to look at the data from, you know, Spotify, Pandora, if you're only releasing it? But what... Go ahead. Yeah, but but what do you, what do you believe is the old-fashioned way? Because right, when you make music now, you'll probably, like, upload it to TuneCore or CD Baby. That's not the old-fashioned way anymore. Yeah, so and that's so what I'm saying. The, if somebody just wants to press up their own music and they just want to put it on ooh. CDs, yeah, like, and go out on the corner and I'm selling my music on the corner out of my trunk. I I feel like, A, that'd be unnecessarily hard. Mm-hmm. And, B, you're spending money you don't have to because, A, most people don't play CDs anymore. So you're spending, like, a $1,000 to press, like, 500-whatever CDs uh, for things that people... So you're spending money where you don't need to be spending money because you're like, I want to do this old fashioned way when you can spend just like the hundred dollars it takes to upload the song to a, a distributor to where they will then distribute it to all the streaming services. And it costs nothing to make those streams just to get the UPC and all of the codes and like register it. So I'm really curious as to why people would do that. I'm not, I'm a, very curious is why somebody do that but that's unnecessarily hard like nobody we are trying to breed new innovation that's helpful and democratizes music and i feel like going and getting your cds pressed in this era where people barely buy those um would just be foolhardy because you're spending money you don't need to Mm -hmm. do you think that when you say people don't buy cds anymore are you thinking that specifically for new artists or do you think that as well like when you mentioned the beyonce's are you saying there's fans out there that don't even want to own a physical copy of her music 
I mean, they may own one, but they probably don't play it as as much as they would just like play it on Spotify because Spotify is on your phone. Like you can take it to go. Like you can't take like unless you also then have a disc man, you don't take your CDs to go anymore. They're kind of something that's strictly for home. Uh, streaming has made it a, made it possible to take the music with you everywhere now, and that's kind of the um, how the majority of people now get their music is they have some sort of streaming account where they're able to play their music. So then going be like, you can only keep this at home unless you also have a disc man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel, yeah, that I feel like that is not is doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like, cause then you also have like artwork. So then you gotta like pay somebody for like the physical, like artwork that they put in your CD. So you're just adding to expenses when you can use that money in terms of like marketing your single on like SoundCloud or Spotify, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like that's money that's better spent elsewhere. Yeah, that's interesting. That I, the reason why I like doing this podcast is because I'm always getting like different ideas of how you should do it. So hearing what you're saying versus another guest that I had that was like, "Don't sleep on physical sales," you know. And he was like, "You know, I'm not saying sleep on physical sales. There are uh-huh. different ways to do that. It's not necessarily buying a bunch of CDs. Like if you're not going on tour and you're like going to give them this physical thing after they've had an experience." Mm-hmm then it might have been that's money you could be like doing elsewhere right. like i wouldn't go start off the bat with a physical thing i would do something that's far more uh per, like able to permeate a little bit easier mm-hmm. and you can all you can play a, a song anywhere on streaming mm-hmm. like you can't just take a cd and be like oh i brought this cd you should listen to it mm-hmm. then you'd be like well do you have a cd player mm-hmm. no you can just open your phone and be like press play mm-hmm. and you can like make sure that everybody has access to it. And then if you're seeing some sort of signal, then then make a limited like run of physical Mm -hmm. because you don't want to like have like a thousand CDs in a box in your closet because you couldn't sell them. Right. Yeah. And I I think it makes sense because you said about the experience and I think that's where it can be beneficial if you are going on tour because those are like the people who you say really want to support you, what I call them super fans now. So when you go out and do a show, people may want to have something to bring home with them, whether it's a T-shirt or whether it's a CD or a wristband. So I, I do think in those areas, it it does make sense to still have physical CDs. And also for the people who like to look at the artwork, because you did mention artwork, you know, they want to, want to take it home, put it on their wall, or some people that like to read, you know, the inside booklets. So I do there think, I think there is a space for it still, but just not a large space for it. So... I'm kind of like, yeah, those are like your hardcore audiophiles, Mm -hmm. super fans, like where they're like, I need to be able to read the lyrics so I can read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Physical is great for those people, but like that's not going to be every, that's not everybody anymore. That is like something, and that's the, you have to weigh the, you have to do a cost benefit analysis. So it's like, that's going to cost you money. Is there enough benefit there that you can spend this money? Mm -hmm. Correct. Now, my last question because I hear people talk about how important this is, so I want to get your take on it, but how important is building an email list today and keeping in touch with your fans that way? Um, it, it, I, for growing fans, it, it, for growing artists, it, it can be supremely important. 
Um, but also, like I said, with all things, knowing your audience, knowing what is consistent for your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been put on emails without like asking and like, that's definitely no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but make sure it's like easy to opt out and easy to opt in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, Oh, if you want to give us like your zip code and your email, we can let you know when we're coming to do shows near you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like bare minimum, but like that's something like some people might sign up for. They're like, Oh, I like music. I'd love to like get an email. Be like, Oh, we're about to like, we're tickets are going to go on sale next week for our show or something to see you. Mm-hmm. Like you're the first to know. Mm-hmm. Like for like exclusive stuff like that, mm-hmm. that it's great. Um, if you're just kind of like filling it with junk, be like, buy my t-shirt, put, see my other friend's band. Like, if you're not doing it any way that's going to connect with them, then it's not super useful, but it's great to kind of like have numbers and kind of have a direct line of contact with people who have already opted into your brand and you as an artist. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. So I always like to give the guest an opportunity to maybe go over some things that I didn't ask in my questions, or maybe there's something that you just want to make sure everybody knows about this specific area that you're an expert in. So I'd like to give you the floor at this time just to cover anything that maybe I didn't. That's super important. Oh, no, you did a pretty good job. Um, And really, I just am the data part of it. So I'm trying to stay in just my corner. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't do artist management. So if people come in up to ask me for that, I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But data is becoming more important and it's really amazing kind of be here and kind of see where we've been and where we're going and hopefully that we get better at it so that we're able to serve artists mm-hmm. um and i think i went off topic a lot so that i i got out everything fun. out of my <laughs> it system. i appreciate it you got a strong um perspective on a lot of things i like that yes okay so strong opinions loosely held yeah loosely held but they're good though. Um, so before we do actually get out of here for good, would you mind giving out any social media or the email address? I know you said you don't like being on email lists, so you don't have to give that out. But if you want yeah. to a space for people to contact you, if they want to know more about data, um, how to get involved and learn about it. Yeah. I'd love to like converse on my socials, mostly Twitter though. Okay. Uh, Cause that's where I do a lot of like the quick discussion and it doesn't have to be like super um, high level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and I probably need to like talk on Twitter more instead of just being there to consume other people's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do Twitter, it's L I L underscore M I S S A W E S O M E. So it's little underscore Miss Awesome. Um, and I'm there to converse about data. Don't slide in my DMs with nonsense. I won't have it. But we can talk about data. This is going to be a funny episode. All right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it was some funny moments in here. So thank you. And we got a lot of good information. So I hope that everybody that is listening, you actually utilize the information because it seems like it can help a ton. Um, so continue to tune in with us. Remember to rate, review, and like, and all of that different stuff that you guys do. Um, that's what I got from uh, Chinua. He told me to make sure I say that at the end. So I'm using his advice. Chinua's really smart. He He's is. So, smart. so now I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure I say it. Because he was like, you know, you want to get more people involved and engaged? Make sure you say that. 
So I'm saying it now. Rate, review, comment, and like, and all that, because I'm going to have it up on YouTube, too. So, again, thank you. and uh, Share with all your friends. Tell them to share with all the friends. Share with really all your friends. So share with all the Go ahead. Maybe you should do my outro for me. You know all the data that works. What else do I need to say? Mm. You guys know <laughs> everything. That's why I'm interviewing you guys, because you have all the knowledge. We try our best. You're doing a pretty good job, and I appreciate you guys. You all have been nothing but supportive, and each of you have something unique to share. So tell everybody at Song Trust and Downtown Music Publishing that Barry appreciates all of you. And I may be reaching and out to somebody else. We appreciate you. For sure. So <laughs> I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you again. All right. All right have a good one. Thank you. Right. You too.